This is All the Cool Parts number 26 for Friday, June 3rd, 2011. Everybody, welcome to All the Cool Parts number 26. And this week we are interviewing our 2010 winner of the All the Cool Parts Idol competition that I ran on the All the Cool Parts website. Uh, in which, if you missed that, I had a listing of all the idols from 2010 and uh, had you, the listener, vote. On your favorite idol, Nick Vassallo won this year, and as a result, we did this interview with him and showcasing his music. So we're going to check out uh, Nick. We're going to check out his music and uh, just a little introduction to uh, Nicholas Vassallo. And um, much like the Laureate series and you know up and coming um, artists, uh, I'm just going to read you his bio. Here, uh, this is from his website at nickvasallo.com. That's N-I-C-K-V-A-S-A-L-L-O, uh, and it says uh, Nicholas Vasallo, born and raised in the Bay Area, the San Francisco, California. Nick Vasallo began music in high school, where he picked up the electric guitar, and eventually formed Antagony, an inf- influential extreme metal band in the underground. At the ripe age of 23, Vassallo decided to begin formal music training at Cal State East Bay, where he obtained his Bachelor of Music degree in 2007. As a Chancellor's Fellow at University of California, Santa Cruz, Vassallo completed his Master's in 2009 and subsequently went on to finish his doctorate in 2011 as a President's Fellow. His music reveals an eclectic array of influences, metal, Ambient, Tycho, Gamelon, Noise, and uh, it has been internationally performed by world-renowned groups such as the contemporary music ensemble Korea, Del Sol String Quartet, San Francisco Choral Artists, Atlanta Scola Cantorum, and Watsonville Tycho, just to name a few. Um, So, uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about Nick and his music, I would uh, highly recommend going to his website. He has a new CD out called Let the Machines Do It For Us, and we'll be talking about a few of the tracks from that CD, as well as uh, some of his other music. And so without further ado, let's just get right on to our interview with Nicholas Vassallo and talk about his music. So we're here with 2010 ACP Idol winner Nicholas Vassallo. And congratulations, Nick, for winning the uh, contest. Thank you. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you here, um, and excited to get into your music, um, which you sent me, and I've listened uh, to, and uh, really dig, and I think um, the listeners will really dig it as well. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Nick. Uh, thank you, Tony. It's good to be here. It's my first podcast show. I'm excited to talk about my music and play it to you guys. All right, awesome. Well, uh, I talked about you a little bit in the intro, and uh, 
you're still living in the Bay Area, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll get to what you're currently doing, I guess, at the end of the podcast. Right now, let's just get into into your music. So let's start with uh, the three pieces that I pulled from your CD that you sent, um, which is called Let the Machines Do It For Us. And do you want to talk a little bit about the album, like how you, I don't know, how you came up with this idea of um, having all these pieces on disc clavier and yeah. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, First, the title, Let the Machines Do It For Us, uh, is a tribute to my friend Jody Handy. Um, he, he died in 2009. He was an amazing musician. Um, he played drums in my, my metal band for years. And my favorite project of his was called We'll Let the Machines Do It For Us. Um, it was just a two-piece, really doomy kind of metal. And uh, when I was writing all these pieces, uh, I, I actually was influenced by Common Nantaro and Ligeti. Um, and I wanted to kind of pay homage to both of them. So every, every, uh, every quarter, uh, in grad school, I would write a new, um, disc clavier piece, kind of in the vein of uh, the player piano pieces of, uh, Nancaro and the etudes of Ligeti. And, uh, I got to the point where I had, I had a big collection and, um, <clears throat> recording it, uh, kind of fell in my lap. I was supposed to do a, a concert um, at an algorithmic um, concert at UC Santa Cruz, and uh, the disc clavier wasn't working. The only one working was in a different building, and I didn't want to haul it to, all the way to the recital hall. So I asked the uh, the tech guy for, you know, two of his best mics, uh, Neumann 184s or the Neumann K K84 or something. Anyways, I went there and I recorded one of the um, disc clavier pieces, and I said, you know what? I might as well just record all of them. Recorded all of them. They came out great. And that, that's when I figured I'd uh, release it as a single uh, CD. Yeah, really cool. And, uh, yeah, the non-Caro influences is evident. I mean, uh, for the listeners, uh, if you don't know who Conlon Non-Caro was, he was a composer living uh, in the mid-20th century. Uh, lived in Mexico City, right, or just outside Mexico City. I think that's right. Um, and, uh, he basically had this studio and this was in the days before, you know, digital pianos where you could stick a disc in it and the piano would play it. I mean, this was in the days of player pianos where you had piano rolls and he would punch out by hand these piano rolls and create these, um, incredibly complex and usually rhythmically complex pieces that, uh, would really have been impossible for you know, a human to play. Um, so, and then obviously uh, Ligeti, uh, you mentioned as a uh, influence on this music. So let's start with the uh, second movement of Evanescent Revolutions. Bascara, is that how you say this? Yes. All right. So uh, like like the non-carry, there's a lot of uh, really cool polyrhythms in this. Um, almost sometimes tango-like. Was that intentional or? It, it might, yeah, it might come across like that because uh, on the left hand we have this axe-sack patterning of three-two-three, three, and it kind of gives us uh, this um, kind of a uh, what do you call it? Um, 
a dance-like feel, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what is the title, Bhaskara? Oh, oh um, Bhaskara too was a uh, Indian mathematician and astronomer, and uh, he contributed the idea of perpetual motion. So I, I thought it would be a, a cool idea to write this piece. Um, for me, the, this piece kind of uh, has this feel it can keep going on and on forever. You know, it's uh, it's really fast. Right, right. The left hand is almost has this uh, ostinato that seems like it's never going to stop, and then the right hand has this um, this this uh, this kind of pattern that contradicts and then aligns contradicts the left hand, and it feels like this conversation can keep going. So, from, in my idea, this is kind of like perpetual motion. Obviously, it doesn't go on forever. It's a very short piece, but uh, it, it kind of uh, I, I thought the the title is suitable because uh, it's a second movement, Bascara two. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's my <laughs> way of looking at ideas. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can totally hear the perpetual motion idea. Well, um, all right, uh, let's just check it out. Um, this is uh, Evanescent Revolutions, the second movement, Bascara. Okay, so we just heard Bascara uh, from Evanescent Revolutions, and we're going to move on to Shades of December. Uh, now, this piece, um, in contrast to the one we just heard, is uh, quite, I don't know, introspective sounding yeah. uh, and quite beautiful. And also, um, one thing that's striking, and what, one thing I wanted to ask you about this piece are the... Uh, short so sort of the isolated short notes that appear throughout i mean is there what's the significance of those and oh yeah um so uh i actually wrote this piece uh in december and at the end of me giving finals for my theory students and um i'd be sitting at the piano a lot and i got into playing with overtones where i i would uh silently depress the keys in the upper register and trigger them by uh, striking notes in the lower register. So uh, that's where you hear the, uh, the those weird kind of low notes just sticking out, you know, kind of, and they reappear again um, in the middle. Um, those are just meant to uh, to um, uh, instigate those upper partials. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, basically you have all the... Um the piano pedal down, right? So all the dampers are off the strings and you strike wow. a note and then that causes a sympathetic vibration in the other strings, right? Yes. With the overtones. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. And and then the rest of it, this sort of 
um, beautiful introspective music. Yeah, um, I I kind of wanted to continue this idea, which I got from Ligeti. He liked to use um, complementary scales, meaning each hand would be playing its own harmonic realm. So in this case, I uh, I have the whole tone series in the right hand, and I want it to seem like it's very free and dreamlike. And then on the other hand, I have the uh, on the left hand, I want it to sound kind of tonal and restrained. I mean, not common practice tonal, but triadic and restrained. Um, and together, they they would have this kind of uh, tension. You have this whole tone freedom where it can be anything. And then this left hand uh, isolated world, or or maybe that that's the kind of introspective nature of the piece. It's very uh, 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 it seems subdued, but um, and, and it's also slower. A lot of slow pieces are a little more introspective sounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's check this out. Uh, Shades of December.
All right. We just heard Shades of December, and we're going to move right along to Transient Reflections, the third movement from that piece uh, titled Stained Glass Window. And um, this one uh, definitely has another sort of perpetual motion kind of feel. I mean, uh, I don't know. What do you, what's uh, what's going on with this piece? Yeah, you know, um, if you look at the piece, it I'm looking at it right now. I'm trying to recall the things I wrote four years ago. It, it's uh, it, it's completely nonstop uh, filled with notes and rest. It, and I'm looking at it now. I, I remember what I was trying to do. I was trying to emulate the uh, uh, the kind of uh, energy of um, of a gamelan ensemble. Um, in, uh. In, uh, yeah, in, in Gamelon, we have this uh, we have this idea of interlocking patterns, and if you look at the patterns individually in the parts, they're really not that complex. But when you tile these processes, uh, um, you can get a complex result. These these relationships that that uh, come about and uh, that you, you won't really hear if you look at the parts individually. So I only have uh, obviously two lines to use. So I, I have this kind of kaleidoscope of patterns, really simple pattern in the right hand, uh, and re- a really simple pattern in the left hand. Um, but together they kind of produce this kind of composite rhythm where it's nonstop. Um, and you, you, you'll hear these exterior notes come out um, that ring out a little longer. And I wanted to do with that to create this uh, idea that you can bring a melody um, uh, from using these uh, kind of um, extreme notes out of out of the uh, range of the pattern that stick out, and uh, you would recognize that as this as the uh, no- notes that would be kind of uh, emerging out of this pattern, becoming a melody of its own. Okay, and then just for the listener, I mean, um, can you kind of explain what a gamel ensemble is? Oh yeah, um, so. Uh, a gamel ensemble, um, it's primarily made up of metallophones, um, and uh, we most associate gamelan music with Java and Bali, though uh, obviously um, we find music of the gamelan in other countries like the Philippines. Um, and uh, let me see, uh, they also use uh, drums and gongs. Gongs signify uh, changes in in the in the form, like if they're going to a new section, the gong will signal the ending or the beginning of a new section, um, and all these players are pretty much playing uh, their their little parts. It's almost like an African ensemble. In an African ensemble, you have a bunch of different percussionists playing their own little pattern, and it fits into this this larger larger pattern. The same thing is true um, in gamelan. Right. Okay. So um, let's check this out. Transient Reflections, the third movement, Stained Glass Window.
We just heard the third movement from Transient Reflections, Stained Glass Window. And uh, we're going to go into some pieces now um, that are not on the album we just heard. They're, they're obviously not um, disc clavier pieces. Uh, this one is a string quartet called Elements of Metal. And uh, this is something that you and I have in, have in common, uh, definitely. Uh, this uh, background in heavy metal um, yeah. and using it in our music. Um, the metal influences in these two movements that you sent me um, are really apparent. And, and I love this piece, man. I'm just telling you right now. I love it. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I thought you would. <laughs> y- yeah, I figured that's why you sent it. Uh, <laughs> but um, this, uh, this movement, um, which is the second movement, the uh, collapsing obsidian sun. Oh, it's the first movement. First movement. Sorry. So first movement of his string quartet elements of metal, um, collapsing obsidian sun. And, uh, you know, I wanted, there's a couple questions um, I had for you about this piece. Uh, one is, um, one of the violins, um, has a really strange sound. I mean, uh, is it just, playing soul ponicello or is there something else going on with it or oh yeah you know what um that's because the violin part is being played by an egg yum an egg yum is a korean fiddle it's uh analogous to the erhu which is the chinese fiddle which is analogous to the western classical instrument of the violin it's basically asia's violin um there's no fretboard it's uh they pretty much just uh get the the feel for the instrument and it can play almost anything a violin can and um but it can also do a lot of things a violin can't um and it was just just to interrupt you right now do you mean there's no fingerboard yeah okay there's no finger. yeah i do that all the time I call a fingerboard fretboard. Oh, yeah, but, called a fretboard. I'm sorry, I just no, realized that. But yeah, so there's no yeah, there's no fingerboard. So it's just sort of like, okay, wow. I, I can you spell this instrument because I'm totally not familiar with this instrument. Yeah, H uh, A E G E U M. Okay, yeah. So continue. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, so I guess I'll talk about the piece. Um, I wrote this in 2009. Uh, the uh, April Santa Cruz Festival uh, was asking composers to write for different instruments. We had uh, in composition class um, pretty much masters of traditional Korean instruments come down and do uh, a month-long w- workshop with all the composers and we each picked our favorite instruments and and all um, we wrote exercises etudes for it just to find out what we can do and i like the agyum because it, pr- it provided a challenge there's a lot of things it couldn't do and i really like the timbre of it it really sticks out it's like a a nasally uh ancient sounding timbre right. um and uh and the the player for it uh i mean sh- she is considered a korean treasure um, and uh, I I knew that the other two musicians I would get were, would be like uh, world class musicians. They were uh, members of the Del Sol String Quartet. So I basically had three 
amazing string players, and I, I figured, you know, I should write something that really shreds. And obviously, I don't want to write, you know, I, I don't want to just uh, drop on, drop in a distorted electric guitar to make this metal. I want really wanted to get the feel for metal for this piece. So I actually worked with my uh, my friend, a PhD math student, Victor Dodds, who's a virtuoso thrash guitarist. Um, he has this band called Hacks Out of the Throat, and they have an amazing song. Um, and what I did was I, I learned that song from him. He showed me the solo and everything. <clears throat> and I wanted to, to, to use those techniques, um, you know, in this, in this, uh, this chamber music realm. And I also dropped in, uh, riffs from my band, Antagony, and riffs from my other favorite band, Ultra Parish. We're actually all friends. We all used to jam in the same rehearsal, rehearsal studio. <clears throat> so it was kind of a, kind of a tribute to, to all three of, you know, of these bands that I've been playing with for years. <clears throat> um, and this idea called, uh, this title, Collapsing Obsidian Sun, comes from the, the lyric of uh, Victor's song called Cascading Down. Um, his song is all about uh, the sun exploding and destroying the earth. It's really cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I basically wanted to write something that shreds uh, for this, this, spring, this spring quartet or string trio in this instance. And um, uh, there's a solo near the end and everything. There's a lot of cool uh, harmonics at the very end as well. I kind of wanted to use uh, techniques that you would find in the modern, you know, metal repertoire, and just uh, insert them into this uh, concert hall setting. Awesome. So uh, let's check out this first movement from Elements of Metal: Collapsing Obsidian Sun. Thank you. 
Okay, we just heard the first movement of elements of metal collapsing obsidian sun, and we're going to move on to the second movement, right? Yes. Uh, Omnes Perituri. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we've obviously um, heard the first movement, and uh, I just wanted to mention, you, you know, that today's composers are, you know, not just... Uh, writing music, you know, from traditional um, orchestral instruments or traditional composers. Um, they're continuing the tra- tradition of what every composer from every period of classical music have done and, you know, taking influence from the music of their own time. Um, and uh, and one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is, you know, get this idea out of people's heads that um, classical music is just something of the past and it's something um, that isn't alive anymore. Um, much like many of the composers that, that people know. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a living, breathing thing and composers are, um, still taking, you know, inspiration from the music of their own time, not just the music of the past. And, uh, so this is a, a great example of a composer, you know, taking music, um, from his own environment, you know, uh, music that inspires him, heavy metal, and transferring that music in, you know, for a classical ensemble of the string quartet. Um, so, yeah, and that just continues in this next movement. So you want to tell us about this movement? Yeah, this next movement, um, Omnis Peraturi, um, it's Latin for all shall perish. And uh, what's funny about this movement is I was asked by by three different, or not asked, I had to write a piece for three different entities or ensembles. I'm sure you know what that's like, uh, Tony, when you're like, I have to write for, you know, these three completely different uh, uh, ensembles, but I kind of want to kill, you know, one one bird with, you know, I want to kill three birds with one stone. So uh, <laughs> at the time I was writing my, I was writing my dissertation and I was really busy, but I was like, you know what, I really want to do this. So I, I, I wrote this one piece um, for all three different projects. I'll explain one at a time. Um, the first one was um, the the uh, the extreme deathcore band All Shall Perish, which uh, they're, they're huge now. Their new album's about to come out. Um, they just played a benefit show for Japan last night, the sold-out crowd in L.A. Um, they wanted me to write a song for their album, and they wanted to have kind of that, you know, they, they knew that I was mixing classical, you know, Western art music and, uh, and metal and... Uh, that they've been a big fan of my music for a while. So I wrote them a piece. I said I'd write them a piece for basically a metal band with, you know, auxiliary instruments. At the same time, I uh, was hired at uh, Calsa East Bay um, by uh, uh, my old professor and friend, Rafael Hernandez. And uh, he asked me uh, to join the DB Orchestra, which is the new music ensemble there. After checking out one, one of their rehearsals, I saw what they can do. They uh, asked me to write them a piece. I said, cool. Uh, and then at the same time also, this is really funny, uh, the string quartet, the, resi- the resident string quartet at UCSC asked me to write them a piece. Um, and they said, make it fun and easy and metal. And I was like, okay, this sounds like I can get away with doing all these things because uh, you know I, I can't write something crazy for uh, a death metal band with, when they're playing with other instruments. I can't write something crazy for a new music ensemble. Um, I mean, uh, especially because they're, they're not professional players. Lastly, the, the string uh, quartet, the resident quartet, wanted something they can just 
pick up and read and, and learn after three rehearsals and play at a concert. So uh, that's why Omnis Peraturi actually uh, is not as technically demanding as the first movement, but it still has an energy. Um, if you can hear, uh, if you can hear it, if you're familiar with Baroque music, you might hear a really recognizable quote. And uh, I use this this quote from a study to pretty much uh, um, create this piece. I, I I used it as a, a marker and um, a way to kind of uh, play off uh, um, this. It's, it's a quotation and also an illusion. Um, it's kind of what what uh, Tony was referring to before. How composers nowadays, you know, we we don't feel the need to only uh, you know draw from you know music from 500 years ago. We can we can actually mix the two. We can put them side by side, juxtapose these these two uh, different time periods.
Okay, so we just heard Omnes Paraturi, uh, second movement of Elements of Metal, and we're going to move on to Antares Rising. Um, this is a piece for wind ensemble and taiko drum, or or multiple taiko drums. One. Yeah, it's it's a uh, actually a taiko ensemble. Okay, so um, yeah, just tell us about this piece and and how this came about. You know, writing for taiko ensemble which is obviously not <laughs> a traditional part of the wind ensemble um, yeah yeah this was a really really good experience i uh i had to join or you know i, I joined a taiko ensemble um called watsonville taiko um while studying for my qes and after joining them i got really into it i mean i i have to tell you the the first time or one of the only times i've ever teared up and cried during a performance was uh, watching the San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Taiko Dojo, and it wasn't because you know it was sad or or anything like that. It, it was so powerful. It was almost like the first time I saw metal. When I first saw a metal band, it just like it changed me. And when I first saw Taiko, it changed me. It had that that primal, you know, really raw sounding um, power that that, it, that I have I haven't seen in a long, long time. So I, I knew that I wanted, I wanted to capture that power. I wanted to harness it and kind of, I wanted to show it, you know, sh- drop it also into the concert hall setting and and show people how powerful this music is, um, due to me at least. So um, <clears throat> after joining them, they found out I was a, a composer and I, I had this crazy idea. I said, hey, how about um, I write a piece for you guys and we joined forces with the wind ensemble, UC Santa Cruz. Uh, and Rob Clevin, who's a, a great guy, he, he was he was cool with the idea too. So uh, um, uh, I, I, I walked into one of the Watsonville Taiko's uh, rehearsals and the sensei, Ikuyo, uh, Ikuyo wrote a piece called Asayaki. And um, I, I was like, I, I love this piece, Ikuyo. Is there any way you can show me the music? I would like to use this music as kind of a, a, a springboard for me to, to get ideas of how I can play, uh, how, I, how you guys can play with the wind ensemble. So um, um, I, I had th- this, uh, this duality of forces. I had, I had a, a, a taiko ensemble, which really represents the earth. It's very grounded. To, it's an ancient sound. Uh, and then I had the wind ensemble, which to me represented obviously wind. So I had earth and wind, membranophone and aerophone, taiko and wind ensemble, these two opposing forces. And so I wanted this this to come out of the piece. The whole beginning starts off with a huge breath. The whole wind ensemble just breathes. I wanted the sound of a of a, a long inhale, almost like slowed down. Because in taiko, it's really important to breathe. They want your energy to be circular. There's a circular idea of taiko. You inhale and strike. Strike downwards, inhale up. So in the beginning, you hear this long inhale or breath and sounds of air, and then a strike. And then we hear the resonance of uh, this taiko drum as the ensemble hums. So this piece is really spiritual to me. It's a, it's a combination of you know east and west and, uh, like I said, earth and wind. And overall, it's all about power. You're going to hear a little Stravinsky in here and a little Ligeti of a little, a little of a lot of those uh, influences that, uh, to me, uh, 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 are powerful and 
it's not only sonically powerful, but conceptually powerful. <clears throat> and Terry's rising. Uh, and Terry's is a, uh, a, a red super giant star. And I, I pictured, uh, I pictured this idea as, as being, uh, um, um, something so powerful, uh, like, uh, an ancient, um, oh, oh, oh yeah, and Terry's is a star that glows 10,000 times brighter than our sun, and it's 500 times our size. So I, I, I picture this piece as being just as big, you know, something massive and, uh, uh, explosive. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, and Terry's rising in a nutshell. All right. Awesome. Well, let's hear it. Uh, this is uh, Antares Rising by Nicholas Vassallo.
Okay, so we just heard Antares Rising, and uh, we're going to end with a piece called Dark Matter. And, you know, earlier I was talking about composers, you know, being influenced by music of today. And, uh, you know, they're not just being influenced by this music, but they're writing for, you know, instruments of our time, um, not just the traditional orchestral instruments. And uh, many composers these days uh, are writing for electric guitar um, by itself or an ensemble. And, uh, yeah, this is a piece of, uh, just basically multiple electric guitars, like distorted, like full, full on distorted guitars. Um, yeah. Tell us about this piece. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as, as you can see with this program, I'm really interested in, in space and a lot of these ideas, I, I think it's because, uh, I, uh, after, you know, in grad school, we, we, we drink a lot. And, uh, um, I happened to, to, uh, have an occasion where I spend nights talking with astronomers at UC Santa Cruz as I think the top astronomy program in the, in the country. Um, and these guys actually really fed into all these ideas for pieces. You know, I, I really didn't know much, you know, about space. I'm not as schooled as I would like. But just from sitting in, having a beer with these guys, they really, uh, you know, inspired me and gave me these ideas for I mean, extra musical ideas for for, for pieces. Um, and dark matter actually happened. Uh, uh, it was such an easy piece to write. I, I was just thinking about, you know, what dark matter is, and and uh, you know, it, it's all about things that we can't see, but but they're there, you know. And uh, um, I thought I, I can create the idea of dark matter with with uh, a space, the space between notes. So that's why this this piece is really droning. I thought that the the timbre of the electric guitar can evoke that idea of something that that uh, you know you can't quite grasp because it's so once you strike you know uh, um, uh, um, overdriven sound, it it can go on. You know that that sound like resonates and goes for a while, 
And uh, especially when you layer, you layer a couple distorted electric guitar. Let's say you randomly just recorded a, a track and and then did another track, not even the same tempo. Put them together, uh, you get this really cool wash. You know that that's what distortion does. It kind of like it's butter. It kind of mixes everything yeah, uh, right. uh, together. Um, so yeah, th- this is dark matter. It's actually uh, the second movement um, of uh, a project I have called Fractals. Fractals is this this more uh, uh, eclectic metal and classical, more so in the metal influenced uh, uh, side project of mine, where I play guitar and I do vocals. Um, and uh, Dark Matter is the second movement of the book called Remnants of an Early Solar System. Okay, awesome. So let's check this out. Um, second movement of Fractals, Dark Matter.
Yeah, just for us guitar geeks, Nick. Yeah. Um, what what are you using here? So what what guitar are you using? What effects are you using? Like, how did you go about recording this? Okay. Um, actually, you know what? What's funny is I'm not using my metal guitar. My uh, my friend had my uh, which I have right now next to me has my Ibanez RG uh, with the uh, <clears throat> with a Demarzio humbucking pickup in the bridge. That's my usual metal guitar, and I didn't have access to it, so I had to use my my punk rock guitar, which is a Duosonic um, remake, and it has a uh, let me see, it has a hot rail Seymour Duncan in the bridge, um, which is a, a basically a humbucking single coil pickup, and I plugged it straight into my my sound card. And what's uh, what's cool is, I mean, this this is the 21st century, and I'm learning things as we go. A friend of mine, you know, a week before I, I wanted to record this, he's like, Nick, you gotta try these these plugins for guitar, man. And he uh, he showed me this website of this guy, and he emulated my favorite amp, um, an Angle Powerball. I don't know if you ever played an Angle Powerball, but those no. things are amazing. Like, every time I played a show with an Angle Powerball, I'd have guys come around me. And start, can I touch your Ant Man? Can I look at it? Because it's a, it's awesome. It's a, uh, it's I think it's a German it's a German amp, and it's it's so heavy, so powerful, so clean. The best, the kind of uh, 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 you know best harmonics come out of it. Anyways, uh, I basically just used a uh, uh, a modeled plugin uh, to emulate this amp, and so it it was just it's almost all software driven. Um, so I played a lot with it. Obviously, I I I, you know, I dropped into my computer, plugged my guitar in, you know, started playing away and adjusting the sound. And then I I decided, no, I'm pretty happy with this. I think I'm just gonna, you know, call it a day and plug in my computer, and not have to mic anything. You know, it makes my life a lot easier. So that's how far we come. It's pretty crazy, you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that's one reason why I asked because, uh, you know, you do get a really heavy, so like you said, overdriven sound but it's it's still really clear i mean it sounds really great so um that's interesting all software driven man yeah crazy um well what's next for you what's going on for you and what's what's next well you know what i i just finished my degree i'm officially dr nick so i have a lot more time in my hands congratulations and, uh, th- thank you thank you and uh um you know i I can empathize with you. You know, when, when we when you when you finished your doctorate, I remember uh, you, you uh, uh, leading up to it. You know, we, we don't know what they're going to ask us in the orals or anything like that. <laughs> right. It just feels good to be done. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when, when you officially print out your dissertation and you drop it off in graduate studies, and then it's kind of like, wow, what, what do I do now? You know? Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole show on that moment, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's. I have to say, I'm, I'm happy. I, uh, I'll tell you what, Tony. I'm gonna work out. I, I got, I gained some weight while just sitting on my ass and uh, uh, writing and writing and reading. So I built this little home gym. Uh, I want to get back into martial arts. Uh, I want to keep writing uh, a new uh, fractals book, more metal. Um, I have a. Uh, orchestral work coming up for next season I have to write so this summer I'm just going to write music uh, get in shape um, oh and uh, hopefully uh, you know I'll, I'm also teaching next next fall 
um, at Gavlin College, and hopefully, if the budget doesn't destroy everyone, I'll be teaching again at Cal State East Bay. Um, uh, so yeah, that's about it. You know, I, I I wanted to also echo the idea you had, which you've been saying through the throughout the program about how how composers, you know, um, how you want people to realize that new music is not this you know gray academic. We're continuing this idea of the Vienna School kind of you know thing. It's it's uh, you know I think in the future when when we're dead and gone, a couple hundred years from now when we when they look back and they try to find out what was going on in the twentieth late twentieth to twenty first century, I think it's, they're going to call it eclecticism. It, it's it's the point in time when you know because of technology we have so much music at our fingertips. You know we don't have to go to a festival, uh, you know, whatever, Eastern music or African music, and get ideas from that. We can just play something on the computer. And uh, so we're, we're brought up with this with this huge palette of all kinds of music. I mean, we don't need to, to be exotic anymore by looking to the East. We can be exotic by using whatever music we were brought up to. You know, like for me, it's heavy metal, for you it's metal. For us, that's our folk music, you know. And um, so I think in the future this is going to be called – the, the, the period of eclecticism. Young composers don't feel the need, you know, uh, to be afraid to drop in whatever they want to be like drop, you know, while being sensitive, you know, because I know that back in the day, uh, you know, guys like Adorno were, were damning of, uh, you know, polystylistic composers thinking that, you know, it, it, uh, it creates incongruities. Well, what's wrong with incongruities? That we, what, that's what's wrong with with uh, bridging a relationship between Bach and Eddie Van Halen, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there is. I think it's cool. I think if you do those kind of things, you're going to turn more people on, you know, to uh, to the other side, you know, whether it be classical or metal or whatever. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think what, what's going on right now is a good thing. It's it's going to breathe fresh air into this uh, old, not dying monster, but this this uh, this this art form that obviously uh, doesn't get as much love as it should, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you said that. Um, and, uh, you know, you're totally uh, right about that. I mean, composers today, you know, I've heard, uh, uh, especially when I was in school, um, I've heard this echoed f- through many people that they would say, I don't like new music. You know, this sort of all-encompassing statement, they don't like new music as if, it's all the same, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, 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 you know, they might have heard one or two pieces of contemporary music and not liked it and then decided, well, I didn't like that. So I don't, I don't like any new music. I mean, that's a, that's a, a huge mistake. I have to say, um, because, uh, just like you were saying, I mean, um, composers right now are doing everything you can imagine and more, um, as far as stylistically. So, you know, if you hear one piece of new music that you might not like, I, you know, I guarantee you there's something out there that's going to totally blow your mind and you're going to love because there's just, you know, everything and anything going on right now in new music. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I, I think when people say they don't like new music, they, they probably heard, you know, there's still a lot of pieces out there. There's still lots of remnants of, uh, you know, um, Eliotoric music. There's a lot of remnants from, um, you know, Milton Babbitt 
there's there's lots of remnants of um, that academic style of of music where almost you know pre-composition and uh, pre-composition and what, what am I saying? Uh, uh, pre-composition and 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 concepts. Sorry, and concepts are are still kind of lingering, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think uh, what if we if we look at history now? If we look at the the middle of the 20th century, <clears throat> that music didn't work for a reason, you know. It, it it was supposed to free something, but it actually uh, you know it put chains on itself. It it it, it, it kind of did the opposite, and uh, conceptual music, uh, you know, it, it, it works in, in its own right, in its own little universe, and I, I, I remember a quote from a teacher, uh, I think Raphael said this actually too, uh, conceptual music is a lot like hard drugs, you know, it's appetizing, but it's be best to keep away from, you know, um, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I kind of, I, I never forget quotes that I like, I, I actually use them to my students. For my old teachers, that, that you know, I, I remember from. Anyways, so I, I think people, you know, every time I go to a new music concert, I, I'm very critical of composers that that almost seem like they're they're uh, uh, they're too afraid to do what they want to do. There's another famous quote from Franco Rocca on his door. You know, it'll, it'll never be known how many acts of cowardice came about from from composers uh, 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 afraid to do something insufficiently progressive. You know, it basically means there's been a lot of artists who consciously, we, they want to do something hip and different because they feel like they should. So they, they try something that, or they, they do something that they think will be successful just because it sounds hip or sounds different. But they're really forgetting, you know, it, is there a reason why you're composing in the first place? Why do you, why do you like music? You know, you, you're going to listen to it. So I, I actually like the composers. I like the music. Uh, written by composers that say, you know what, I want to write what I want to listen to, you know, and and I think if if uh, if audiences maybe attended those kind of concerts a little more, you know, I, I can name a lot of composers. I like. I'm actually going to say, uh, Tony, when I first heard you, your music, I was like, thank God, there's not academic music being written. You know, there's something that's that's cool and tip sounding and still new sounding that doesn't sound like you know I I uh, I want to impress my my serialist. Uh, composition teacher, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, um, there's definitely uh, an atmosphere uh, in many schools, you know, when you go to school to study composition um, formally of, um, I don't know, almost this weird pressure that a lot of students feel. And I don't even know if this comes from the teacher so much, but for some reason there's this uh, pressure that the students feel to be kind of overly complex in their music um, and to um, really be sort of uh, very process driven in their music. Um, so it ends up to where uh, they end up, you know, maybe in a lot of program notes, they'll end up talking about all these processes they use to compose the piece and um, harmonic areas and, um, uh, you know, 12 tone processes, whatever they're using to, and, and that, that sort of overshadows the actual music that comes out. Um, yeah. So, um, and it's something, you know, that, that you and I having gone through that, that whole academic process have seen a lot. I mean, most people, uh, probably have never even heard this music before, 
but I mean, it's, it's something that, that we're very aware of. And I think it's, it's made you and I, the composers we are today. I think, you know, if you go through uh, music school as a composer, you either embrace that style or you kind of react against it. And uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying uh, just like you, I'm not saying that any, any kind of music is wrong. In fact, you know, there was one guy <clears throat> uh, at Indiana University that I went there with um, <clears throat> who kind of wrote music like that. But um, he was really the one guy that I ever knew that was really, really talented and that you could tell that this music was coming from his soul. Um, I remember uh, one time we had a George Crumb come there and he came with this guitarist, David Starobin, who's uh, famous for playing contemporary music. And they played one uh, ensemble piece and the piece had mandolin in it. And this uh, person um, played the mandolin part in this Elliot. I believe it was an Elliot Carter piece that they played. Uh, and, you know, everybody including David Starobin, you know, the, the, um, the guest artist, uh, sounded like, uh, many times when you hear music like that, where the, the players, they're just sort of playing notes and rhythms and they're not really, you can just hear it. You know, they're not really that into the music or they're not really fully understanding it. Uh, but the mandolin player was just tearing this piece up like you've never heard before. And I mean, he was just, uh, stole the show from everybody. And you could tell, you know, he understood this music from a fundamental level and he just loved it. And that came across in his own music, you know? And, and so I think is, you know, if you're really passionate and really love what you're doing, it doesn't matter, you know, what the style of music is. The problem is that a, a lot of students try to go that direction, but they don't, you know, they don't <laughs> really they don't really have passion for that. And it comes across in the music, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, that's, that's pretty much it. I think, um, unless there's anything else you wanted to say, I think we can wrap it up. Um, no, you know, I, I really appreciate you, Tony, having me on the show. I enjoyed talking about new music with you. I'm, I'm sure we can actually talk for hours and hours about yeah. <laughs> our, our ideas on, on this kind of stuff. Um, I guess uh, if you want to check out more of my music, go to my website, nickvasala.com, and uh, I got I got my CDs on there if you want to purchase them. Um, but thank you for listening, and thanks again, Tony. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Um, it was really fun talking to you and hearing your music. And... Uh, you know, yeah, like like you said, go to his website, keep tabs on what Nick is doing, and uh, congratulations again um, for winning the 2010 Idol competition uh, and for getting your doctorate. That's no small accomplishment. And um, yeah, we'll be keeping tabs on you and uh, checking out what you're doing. And um, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. And that's going to do it for all the cool parts. Number 26. Thanks again to Nick for coming on the show. Um, it was great to have him on. If you would like to check out links and other things uh, related to this show and other shows, 
go to our website at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can email us at allthecoolparts at gmail.com. You can go to my website at anthonyjosephlandman.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash anthonylandman. And uh, you can go to our site on Facebook, and we're all over the place. Uh, So we will have another show next week and hopefully another new uh, segment of All the Cool Parts Idol uh, so we can eventually have a show like this next year with uh, the 2011 winner. And uh, if again, if you're a composer uh, or a performer, um, please send me music. Um, again, send it to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. And uh, I would love to play your music on the show and promote you. And uh, you'll have a chance to do a show like this in a year, um, like Nick did. Uh, So thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we will be back next week with another show. Later. Hey, performers, performing ensembles, and composers. All the Cool Parts podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like All the Cool Parts podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. All the Cool Parts podcast is brought to you by classical guitar luthier Tomas Barobia, maker of the cutting-edge triple-core composite top classical guitar. Powerful volume, world-class tone, and exceptional playability all in one guitar. For more information and free sound samples, visit his website at www.latticeguitar.com.